All right, are you ready for the Word today? I'll meet you in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Today we're going back to the Creed, and we're going to deal with that line that kicks off what is technically the last third. You can, you can sort of, it's not, I'm not saying the last third in, in quantity, but the last third in content, because it's really a prayer about our belief in the Trinity. God the Father Almighty, that's, that's our obvious belief that God is Father, Creator of heaven and earth, that He's Father and Creator, that He's Almighty and that He's Lord of all. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. That's where the, the creed takes a turn towards the humanity of Christ. Born of the Virgin, suffers under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried, descends to the dead on the third day, raised again. This is the Jesus story. This is why as you pray the creed, you can, as you get used to praying the creed, you realize you're just praying your, your Christian story. You're praying the Bible story. You're praying it in little snippets that are connecting you across 20 centuries of, of the church to something much bigger than yourself. Um, and so we pray of the Jesus who descends and then raises from the dead, ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, comes again to judge the living and the dead. We preached every one of those in the latter part of 2023. We took a break for Advent to celebrate the Christmas season and then Epiphany. And now we're back for that last part. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then that will lead us into what for us evangelical Protestants is the most controversial line in the creed, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And I'll give you a preview. I gave you a preview weeks ago, but not everybody's here for every preview. It's the Holy Catholic Little C Church, not the Holy Catholic Big C Church. The little C church is a word that means universal. And so I believe in the universal church. We're going to talk about that next week. The church across space. And you got to be careful before you say that. I'm ahead of myself by a week, but I want you to be thinking about it all week. You got to be careful before you say you believe in that and then turn around badmouth all the other churches. And so this is why we need to get back to praying the creed as a church. Instead of just wild, wild west of church belief so that we're all just fighting over the stuff we believe in rather than realizing that we're all actually one family. And you don't have to like everybody in your family. Don't say amen. Because some, <laughs> some of you got family here. You don't have to like everybody in your family, but they're your family. So they hold a different place. That's what we're talking about with the church. Okay, that's next week. That's your preview. That's all the preview you're going to get. But we're going to do the the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints in one week. Because to me, there is no church without communion of saints. Those two things don't stand aside. The church, the communion of saints. They're the same entity. We'll preach those together. But for this week, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's one of my favorite ideas, one of my favorite topics to talk about. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I read one Christian writer that said this is the most understated affirmation in the creed because it's kind of like saying, I believe in breathing. You know, like you do it all the time, whether you believe in it or not, almost seems silly to even talk about. If I say, hey, do you believe in breathing? You go, that's a stupid question. I'm going to breathe whether I believe it or not. Well, when I say I believe in the Holy Spirit in Christian terms, that's about as understated as saying I believe in breathing. Because the truth is, is we wouldn't even be here without the link of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that directs one person to do this and another person to do this and their paths cross. Or you can just believe that everything happens by chance and coincidence. So you can just run through your life believing that you just are the luckiest person in the world. I've said this to many people. I couldn't help but believe in God if for no other reason than I look at my life. I look at my spouse. I look at my kids. I look at my life and I go, well, I believe in God. 
because I can't be that lucky. Because I've been really stupid a lot of times, made a lot of dumb decisions, did stuff that just didn't make sense, and yet I end up with this. So I'm either the luckiest man alive or there's a God that is good. And so you got to make those decisions in life. I can't persuade you one way or the other, but I can tell you that I believe in the Holy Spirit. And yes, that's an understated statement, but about like I believe in breathing, I don't believe I could be saved. I don't believe I could be part of the body of Christ without the identity of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to preach Holy Spirit, you can't do better than the gospel of John. We're going to be here all day. All right. And by all day, I mean half hour. So don't get excited. (laughs) Although I could easily be here all day. We did John in our Tuesday nights in Georgia. And it took me three and a half years of teaching John every week to get through the gospel of John. So believe me, I got some John material in me. All right. But we'll be in John exclusively today. And the reason I say that John's the one, because if you want to hear about the Holy Spirit and you're going to read the gospels, John's where you go. Because John, quick little Bible study, John is most likely the last, definitely the last gospel penned, quite possibly the last book of the New Testament penned. And as such, the author decides to do what hasn't been done yet. In Bible study, you call John the non-synoptic gospel. That means he's non-similar. So you don't tell the birth story of Jesus. You just jump straight into telling the story of Jesus, but you redo the book of Genesis. In the beginning, what's Genesis say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. So John opens his book with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word was the light of God, and that light was the life of men. So John just takes the first story, puts Jesus and his resurrection into it, and retells it. From there on, the Gospel of John is the telling of the resurrected Jesus by doing it through the life of Jesus. It's a fascinating read. So we have stuff about the Holy Ghost that doesn't exist anywhere else outside of Paul. You can almost feel Paul's hands in the Gospel of John as a writer because quite possibly Paul's theology of the Holy Spirit had so permeated the church that by the time the Gospel of John comes along, the author speaks those words of the Holy Spirit from the lips of Jesus. So watch that in John chapter 3, verse 5. Most people, if you read John 3, they know John 3, 16, right? Even sinners know John 3, 16. Let me show you some stuff from John that we ought to know that's just as powerful. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I want you to look at that verse again and I want you to apply that one to memory. That's an easy one to memorize. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm not doing that just to be repetitive. This is a key verse because you are a product of the flesh sitting here today. Product of your mother and your father, product of your environment, product of culture. Flesh produced flesh, flesh will always produce flesh. Flesh can't produce the spirit. So you cannot in any way change your spirit, man. That which is the essence of who you are cannot be birthed because your fleshly man exerts its influence over it. I'm going to try really hard to change my spirit, man. Won't work. Flesh doesn't birth spirit. So this is a key element in understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the spirit. And there's two amazing things about verse eight. One is it shows you that you, you cannot predict the activity of the Holy Spirit. He blows like the wind. He goes where he wants to. You can't determine his source. You can't determine the end game. I don't know how God got us in this room today, and I'm not quite sure where God's taking us, such as the work of the Holy Spirit. But the other fascinating thing, such as you, such as everyone born of the Spirit, and that word Spirit is breath. The Holy Spirit is the very breath and essence of God, and so such as everyone born of the breath of God. Your Christian birth is a work of the Holy Spirit. And because it's a work of the Holy Spirit, you do not have to remain trapped to the fears of your flesh. How many of you came up in church environments and you don't have to raise your hand, but just let this be one of those rhetorical ones you work on a little bit. You came up in church environments that believed very firmly that you had to know the time and the place where you accepted Jesus Christ if you were going to consider yourselves a Christian. Boy, you need to know, and I used to hear old preachers say it that way too. You better know the time and the place or I'm not even sure you got saved. That's how people preach back where I come from. I mean, they just lay back and just get at it just like that. You better know the date and the time and the place. And man, there'd be people that could be, get so scared because they didn't have that goosebump experience on the back of their neck where they accepted Christ. They've just been in church forever and they love the Lord and they they've follow the, the, the dictates of the Spirit, but they didn't have that moment. Maybe they had their water baptism, they had that moment. And to achieve that spine-tingling moment, in the last 150 years we instituted invitations where you come forward and say a sinner's prayer a prayer by the way that was created by evangelists so that you could get saved easily and quickly because we needed to count you as a salvation how many salvations did you have in your revival and you become a check mark you can drive down the road right here in South Carolina. You're going to see billboards. I saw them a few weeks ago. I saw it and I just registered. I didn't register it. I just read it. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what that's about. And then, and I'm driving these roads every week. And so I read it the next week and think, hmm, I wonder if there's an intent behind that. And so I'm driving the next week and there's yard signs with the same billboard, except they've added to it. Well, the billboard says something like, I'm not going to nail it exactly, but something like, um, Jesus, pray, pray, Jesus, save my soul, forgive my sins. Jesus, save my soul, forgive my sins. Big yellow billboard. Okay, and then little yard signs that now say, with little words above it, say this. Jesus, save my soul, forgive my sins. And after about four weeks of driving, it hit me. What has been done is that we've put up this, the short version of the sinner's prayer in the belief that if a guy's driving down the road and will say it out loud, he'll accidentally get saved. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm only half joking because I've been around long enough to know that's exactly the mentality because we're going, if they'll just say the words, Jesus will do the rest. So if we can just get them to read it out loud while they're driving, they'll accidentally get saved because in that version of salvation, Christianity is all about going to heaven when you die and not going to hell. And if your version of the human family is everybody's going to hell anyway, even these little kids, then we got to get them to say that prayer as fast as possible so they go to heaven. 
But I do not believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a get out of hell ticket that is achieved by the repetition of a billboard prayer. Because flesh can't produce spirit. Spirit produces spirit. We bring us to him so that we are placed into his death and raised up in his resurrection. Therefore, salvation is the process of my believing in the Jesus who has died on Calvary for me and following him in his death and his resurrection. Which is why when we pray the creed at the garden every week, that is our confession of faith. So that as you hear it, you pray it not as a punched ticket to be saved, but as you begin to believe in the hymn of that prayer, you begin to follow the hymn of that prayer. H-I-M. Who is he? God the Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, his Son, the Holy Spirit. As you begin to believe on him, you begin to follow him out of this room and into your lives, and then you follow him in your day-to-day walk. That's allowing your spirit to be born of your spirit, not your spirit to be born of your flesh. I don't believe in magic prayers. Okay? Magic prayers are usually done so that the preacher can feel better about validating their sermon by checkboxing someone prayed the prayer. I'd rather see disciples of Christ, people who follow Jesus in the way of their life so that his life becomes their life. Jesus in John 17 said, Father, this is eternal life that they may know you and your son whom you sent. He doesn't say this is eternal life that you get to go to heaven when you die. Oh, I believe in life everlasting. Keep coming to the creed sermons. It's in there. (laughs) The life everlasting is in there. But the road to salvation, that's one of the last things we learn is about everlasting life. It's not the first thing we learn. The creed doesn't start with, I believe I get to live forever in heaven someday. Here's why. It ends right near the end with, hey, when this is all over with, I'm in his hands. Everlasting life is mine. But I'm walking this out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I don't have any idea who's behind the yellow billboards and the yard signs. I don't care. That wasn't a rock I'm throwing at an individual. It probably sounded like it. It's really in the spirit of, I, don't, I no longer believe that the work of the Holy Spirit can be influenced by the work of my flesh. The Holy Spirit goes to work on us. You don't want someone to come into the faith because they prayed the magic prayer and then they're not a disciple of Christ. What you're doing in this room is stepping into discipleship of Christ, following Christ into the way of who he is. So stop worrying about day and hour salvation. So if you can't right now stand up and tell me the month, the day, and the hour that you got saved, as far as I'm concerned, that has nothing to do with whether or not you know Christ. Because the truth is, is that I've had born again experiences with Christ more times than I can count. I've accepted Christ through a prayer, but I've had revelations of Christ over and over again that changed my life, changed the way I think, changed the way I live, changed the way I conduct myself, changed the way I treat you because I had a new encounter with Christ. That was a, that was a born again experience. That was a Paul that wasn't alive until that moment. And then he was birthed. And he couldn't be birthed because I thought about it. Flesh doesn't birth spirit. He was birthed because I had an encounter with the risen Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's allowing the Holy Spirit to go to work to do what the Holy Spirit does. I want to read for you 
a C.S. Lewis quote. All right, I know C.S. Lewis didn't write the Bible, and I'm not trying to claim that this is Scripture, so I'm telling you that up front. This is from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, a masterpiece. If you ever want a, a, an, an, a, to, to wrestle a little bit with some of your theological wranglings, it's a good place to start. In, in response to this question, here's the question. Why is it impossible to hold a genuinely personal view of God without a concept of the Trinity? This is where our sermon today takes a little turn towards the three persons of the Godhead. Because I want to present to you the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't have three hands, so I couldn't do that. We had to leave God the Son. He's okay. We leave him out here by himself. He's ascended into heaven. <laughs> That didn't make any sense. I tried it anyway. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay? Why is it impossible to hold a genuinely personal view of God without a concept of the Trinity? Here's C.S. Lewis. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains two persons. Or you could say unless God contains multiple persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. It's an interesting take. It's an interesting take. Let me work with C.S. Lewis is long dead, way smarter than me. So I can argue and win without losing because he's not here to fight back. I'm not arguing against him. Let me pull with him a little bit. Here's my thoughts with that. I would add... That the Apostle Paul says the Lord is one. The Nicene Creed says the Lord our God is one. One in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Lord our God is one. I don't believe that has anything to do with God being there alone, but rather with God being distinct from all other deities. Okay? He is the one God. Not one of many gods, and he just happens to be slightly better. He's the one God. And that, that is his fullness. I don't think that has anything to do with he doesn't express himself in the Son and in Jesus. But here's my thoughts on that whole, because that lo- God is love, but he had to have multiple expressions. Otherwise, you can't love yourself and call it love. Right? How many of you believe God never changes? I think that's safe. He is immutable. He's unchangeable. He doesn't vary. Okay? If that's the case, then he was always love, Right? Okay, was he just waiting around to create man so that he could show his love? Or was Jesus right when he said, Father, you have loved me from the beginning? Okay, so Jesus then is an expression saying, Father, you and I have always had this relationship of love. So my thoughts on top of what Lewis says would be, if God never changes, then he always was love. And if that's the case, if that's not the case, that God expressed himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then he could only fulfill himself as love by creating man. Which would mean that before Adam, God had no one to love. Which would mean that before Adam, God wasn't really love. He was love in potential. And since God never changes, and he's always been love, he's always been loving. And who is he loving? Jesus said, you have loved me, Father, the love that you have shown me. So, This isn't some drop-the-gauntlet argument for the Trinity, but it's my expression of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are the expressions of God to us. God as our Father, God as Son, as one of us, and God the Holy Spirit ever with us. 
When you leave this place today, the presence you feel of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The thing you feel, and I believe this firmly, that we, we experience when we come into the garden is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as that happens, we experience the fullness of who God is through the Holy Spirit. That leads me to two dangerous eyes, the letter I, okay, that I was taught about the Holy Spirit. Now, I come up in Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds. In Pentecostalism, the Holy Spirit was sort of the centerpiece of most of our church services, although we called him the Holy Ghost. And there's nothing wrong with calling him Holy Ghost. That was, that was our reference point for understanding him to be invisible, but powerful, okay? And so we would talk about the Holy Ghost, but we would talk about the Holy Ghost almost entirely in terms of power. We love to quote the Greek word dynamos. We would say dynamos where you get the English word dynamite. And you shall be endued with dynamos from on high after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be endued with dynamite. You shall have explosive power with the Holy Spirit, which is great. That's scriptural. But we would always present that as a separate thing, that not every Christian had that. We would say, when you get saved, you get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. And then later, as you get baptized the Holy Ghost, you get more of the Holy Ghost. And the more Holy Ghost you get, the more powerful that you are. And the only way to get more of the Holy Ghost is by faith or by perseverance, or by asking, or by tarrying, or by fasting. And this is why we'd have hour-long invitations for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And in reality, we were flesh trying to birth spirit. A lot of times. Push, pull, speak, don't speak. All those things. Let go, hold on. Flesh trying to birth spirit. Why was it so easy to get saved and so hard to get the Holy Ghost? To get saved, all you had to do is repeat the sinner's prayer. It took about 15 seconds and then a water baptism. You get the Holy Ghost, hold on. And I think what we were doing was we were presenting the Holy Spirit through two eyes, two negative eyes, the letter I. Okay, here they are. We presented the Holy Spirit as an inferior, I-N-F-E-R-O-R, inferior member of the Godhead. That was our first mistake. That's been my first mistake. Inferior meaning God's powerful, then Jesus is right here with him. And then the Holy Spirit is down here as the lackey of heaven. And the lackey of heaven works as the sheriff of heaven. He runs around kind of like the devil runs around seeking whom he may devour. The Holy Spirit runs around seeking whom he may convict. That's how we presented the Holy Spirit. And what he does is he follows you around with the with the flashlight of God's holiness and he peers into your life to find all the stuff you're doing wrong and then convict you about it so that you go to Jesus to get it forgiven so Jesus can go to God to calm God down for a long time I, I believed in a hierarchy of the heaven that sounded like this God is holy and thus super mad at you because you're a bunch of sinners Jesus is partly you, you know, half human, half God. So he gets you. There's even a whole commercial called He Gets Us. Okay, a little bit of that is birthed in He gets you because He's been you. I'm not saying that's wrong. He does get you. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you where some of this stuff gets birthed. He gets us because He's been us. And because He gets us, He goes to His dad a lot and goes, Dad, you got to let Jeremy off the hook. I know I'm picking on Jeremy. I didn't need to. I know, but I did anyway. He goes, God, dad, you got to let Jeremy off because he's been talking to me. 
and we got it solved. And then God goes, okay, I was going to get Jeremy this week. <laughs> and I, I, know, I know you go, well, that's stupid. Nobody believes that. Are you sure? Are you sure that's not the fuel that runs much of Christianity and much of people's thinking is God's ticked off, Jesus is the liaison, and the snitch is the Holy Ghost. The snitch is the guy that follows you to your house and watches what you're doing behind closed doors and then runs to God. He just skips Jesus and he runs straight to God and he goes, hey, I saw what Julia did and let me tell you about it. And God goes, that's it, I'm going to get her. And then Julia talks to Jesus and Jesus talks to God and Jesus talks daddy down. And we call that the mediator. He mediates because we've been to divorce court and we need mediators. And so, we go, and so he's mediating to get parties solved, problems solved. This is such a mistaken viewpoint of the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because I go to my Father and you don't believe in me. They don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us that Jesus is our Savior to believe on him. But this idea that he's carrying a spotlight into your life to reveal the bad so that you will be condemned or guilty, any revelation of what's wrong with you that's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit must be accompanied by the Christ that already lives inside of you. The nail-scarred hands of Jesus is already in there having paid for whatever that is. We are not, he is not inferior to big God, slightly lesser Jesus, and then inferior Holy Spirit. We don't believe in that version of the Holy Spirit because Jesus didn't preach that version of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 16. Stay in John and go to John 16, 13. I'm trying to get near the end. I've only given you one eye. I got two. I, I, I love this message. I love talking about the Holy Spirit. And so it's a little tough for me. So John 16, 13, let's move. However, when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come... He will guide you into all truth. He does not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. Look at that. The Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and shows it off to you. This is what he's doing. Whatever belongs, whatever Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit shows you that. Like, look at this. Jesus took your sin into himself and died on your behalf. Pay attention to that. Whatever he sees that Jesus has done, he'll show you. Look at 15. All things that the Father has belong to me. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. Here's the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says everything Dad has belongs to me and everything I have the Holy Spirit shows you. Which means that whatever the Holy Spirit is showing you is everything God has, not everything that's wrong with you. We should be preaching the Holy Spirit as the comforter who shows us the love of the Father, who speaks to us of the goodness of God. So that when we are confronted by our sin, which we have, 
and by our failure, which we commit. We will see that that sin and that failure has been crucified in the body of Christ so that we are free from guilt, shame, and condemnation and can live the life that we are resurrected to live and the Holy Spirit doesn't know how to do anything but that. He's not inferior. Here's the other one. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. We live in a world of influencers. <laughs> People who stand in front of their phone and influence you, okay, I guess, to buy a shirt or eat this protein bar or whatever. And we send them our money because we believe that they've given us a better way of living our lives. I'm always amazed of, of how people survive as influencers in our modern economy. People are pay, paying people to be influenced, I suppose, over all kinds of things for whatever purpose that is. I'm not judging them. What? God bless them. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's better than an influencer. He's not someone who stands out with his spiritual iPhone and shows you the way things could be if you live better. Eat, the, whole, eat the, the protein bar of the Father and you'd have a better life. You know, give in to this and God would do... He's not an outsider convincing you to be an insider. Making you feel bad about being an outsider. Trying to show you the way to be an insider. He's not on the outside looking in. He's not influencing our behavior towards the good. Little demon, little angel, that's the devil, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, convicted. Trying to get you to lean good because you've been leaning bad. No. These are secular ideas. You know what these are? They're fleshly ideas. They're carnal. They're common ideas. They're, they're secular ideas. They're common ideas about how we govern ourselves and then that's how we do it. And, and that the way of God is to give us a list so that we can jump up and live towards and try to grab. And that the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to influence us to be better people. This is so deeply ingrained in us that a lot of times in church we police the way people live. Not because we're trying to quote unquote get them to heaven but because it looks so bad on our church reputation if people see you coming in here and they know where you were last night. So we're worried about what your influence will do on the body at large to give us a perception among the community. And this is because we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is trying to get people to live better. You're here and He's here and He's going not that way, this way. Come over here. Live a little better. When we preach the Holy Spirit as an influence, we preach a separation. That I'm in one spot and He's in another. Take this to the absurd. I'm good at taking stuff to the absurd. Okay, I'll take it to the absurd because this is how I heard it. If you go to that place that you shouldn't be, the Holy Ghost will wait in a car while you go in. I heard that. I used to hear that in church. The Holy Spirit's not going to, God's not going to be a part of your sin. So if you walk in there thinking the Holy Ghost is going in with you, you got another thing coming. And let me tell you, when you get back in the car, you're going to feel the convicting power of the Holy Ghost because he's going to come and smack you for what you just did. Listen, everywhere you go, 
the Holy Spirit goes with you. He's at one with the Father and the Son. He presents everything that belongs to Jesus, and Jesus says everything Dad has belongs to me. So if the Holy Spirit don't go, neither does Jesus. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So when you walk in, the Holy Spirit walks in. Where you step your foot, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God alive and well in you, he is the image of the resurrected Christ. So he's not on the outside going, <laughs> fix it. He's on the inside. And let me tell you, on the inside, there are going to be many places you step your foot that the Holy Spirit's going to go, ooh, mm. we don't need to be here. This is, gonna, this is death to you. Oh, no, no, Dad's not going to kill you. We're, my father's already paid for it. This is death for you. This influence you're walking into is going to sap the life out of you. You, you play with this, it's going to kill you. How many of you know the whole, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit in a moment go, I think we should get out of here. What do you think that was? That wasn't the Holy Spirit waiting in the car. That was the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit going, no, this is going to send you to hell. This is the Holy Spirit going, no, we just walked into hell. We stay here long enough. This is hell. This, this right here is going to harm you. Come here. I got you. And, and, and we hold on to the sound of the Spirit. And we move towards the sound of the Holy Spirit. We, we preach this during Advent when we talk about peace. That the Holy Spirit is our umpire. That we are umpired by peace. By the Holy Spirit in us at peace. We go, okay, I'm good. And then the minute peace rocks. And that which is shaken can be shaken. That's our cue to say, the Holy Spirit hasn't sat in the car. The Holy Spirit's in me going, we need out of here. You need out of here. This is death for you. This is, you don't belong here. This isn't where you need to be. I'm not going to leave you. You're going to go walk in. And here's the beauty. You walk into it, I walk into it. You want to walk into this hellhole? I'm going to walk into this hellhole with you. I'm, not gonna, I'm in here because you're in here. And if you're in here, I'm going to be in here. And I'm going to stay as long as you stay. And I'm going to suffer with you. And I'm going to hurt with you. But if you go into fire, I go into fire. Let's go. We don't have to. Please turn left. <laughs> have, you, have you experienced that that's the sound of someone who loves you? Not the sound of someone who's your enemy. Your enemy would stay in the car and let you get yourself killed. The Holy Spirit as your comforter says, all right, I think it's a bad idea, but let's go. I'm not going to leave you. You go down, I'll go down with you. Good news for you. Jesus is in the resurrection business. It's good news. There's, there's a tomorrow. This is why we preach the resurrection. Good news. We messed today up. Okay, that's bad. There's some stuff you're probably going to have to deal with. There's some fallout, but... There's hope. There's a resurrection. Man, that's better than an influencer. The influencer just over there going, if you were smarter than this, you wouldn't do this stupid stuff. <laughs> an influencer just make fun of you and tell you how you could be if you looked better, if you were smarter, if you were more well-read, if you knew how to pray. The Holy Spirit isn't an influence. He's ever-present. He's the reality of God, the expression of the love of God. Everything Jesus said, everything the Father has, he gave me. And everything I have, I gave the Holy Spirit to show you, to present to you. John chapter 20, let's close. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I want you to concentrate on 22. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Because that's the same word, breathe, that was used in John 3 to Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wants to. That word was breath or wind, the Spirit. The the New Testament breath and the Spirit are the same thing. If He breathes on you, that is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Same word. So He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the very breath of God is the Holy Spirit. If you're pull, When I say to you, pull in the oxygen in this place today, hey, guys, you're at the garden. Take a deep breath. Relax. What am I doing? Breathe in the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to be magical. I'm not trying to be stupid. I'm trying to be like... Breathe in the presence of the Spirit. He loves you. Breathe it in. Take it into yourself. Let it go to work. Oxygen heals that which needs healed. Let the Holy Spirit go and go to work to heal what needs healed. Not as an outside influence, not as an inferior member. Receive the Spirit. You already have Him. You're already baptized into Him. We're just having subsequent experiences with Him. But the more you know about the Holy Spirit, what's verse 21 say? Peace. What's verse 23 say? Forgiveness. The more you know about the Holy Spirit, the more you'll walk in peace, and the more you'll know you are forgiven. I invite you today, if you haven't begun your walk in the Spirit, I invite you to begin your walk in the Spirit. How do I do that? Jesus tells Nicodemus that a man must be born again. Well, how are we born again? Not flesh of flesh. Not, I'm going to try really hard. This is going to be my week. Born of the Spirit. We place faith in Christ and we follow Him. We begin the journey of following Him. Not through our flesh, not through our effort, but through faith. We pay attention to Him. We listen for the sound of His voice. In our affirmations of our Christian faith as we pray them, some of them are going to be impossible for you to pray. Even if you've got the card, even if you've got the Apostles' Creed right in front of you and you're praying, you go, I don't know if I believe that. Okay. Maybe you don't pray that. I wouldn't pray. I, I wouldn't say what I don't believe. I wouldn't pray what I don't believe because what we're praying is who we believe in and why. But as that becomes part of your faith journey, I believe what happens is we begin to see faith grow in areas we didn't know we even had it. Peace and forgiveness of sins. I got more to say because I never really run out of things to say about the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to stop. I feel it's a... I feel it's a few minutes past where I could have. So I feel like I squeezed a lot of stuff about the Holy Spirit into you today so that you can wrestle with it just a little bit. Would you, would you bow your heads with me for a second? I, I want to pray, I wanna pray a, a couple of prayers today for you, okay? I want to pray one prayer for you, and I want to pray one prayer with you today, all right? And, and this, is, this prayer for you is simply that your heart's receive that your your spirit man your mind be open to the reception of what you've heard and that where it has encountered a mustard seed sized grain of faith i mean i'm not asking for a truckload of faith but father wherever this is experienced a mustard seed size of faith may this go to work not flesh go to work spirit go to work okay and if you're open to that just receive that father i pray that in jesus name wherever we have an open heart to receive your word 
the Holy Spirit is waiting to step into that space and go to work. Thank you for the word today that whatever you have, Jesus has received and whatever Jesus has, the Holy Spirit is in the business of showing that off. Jesus is forgiveness. Jesus is resurrected reality. Jesus is the life of God. The Holy Spirit is in charge of showing that off. So show off. Begin that work of showing off. Wherever we have a mustard seed of faith, show off the love of your Father. Show off the power and the presence of God. That, Father, we become a people who live this out every day by walking it. And for everyone who will receive that, to live that out by walking that out, we pray you go to work as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.